Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. What is the ultimate goal for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. This week, we've been looking at a talk that was given by Eldred G. Smith. At the time, he was the patriarch of the church, a position that the church no longer has. He gave this talk on March 10, 1964 at Brigham Young University to a group of students. And as we've mentioned this week, the reason why we think it's important to look at this talk is because there's no reason for Eldred G. Smith to obfuscate any of the doctrines that he wants to talk about. He's trying to educate these students, so he's trying to be as clear as possible, which means he's going to be very open in some of the things that he has to say. Personally, I appreciate that. I have no problem at all when a Latter-day Saint wants to be perfectly honest with me regarding what they personally may believe. In this talk, however, he's been talking about the doctrine of eternal increase or the ability to procreate throughout eternity. He says it's absolutely essential if we, in fact, are going to be perfect in the next life. He goes on to say, And so through the power of the priesthood, the man has the opportunity of obtaining that degree of perfection by which he may create worlds and populate them with his own offspring. And what I find interesting in that statement he puts this on the power of the priesthood, that to be exalted, there must be this power of the priesthood. We don't find where they ever talk about being justified by their faith and what Jesus did for them on the cross of Calvary. No, there's this priesthood element, again, that is unique to the LDS church. Then he goes on to say, the ultimate goal, the purpose of creating this earth was that of establishing families and homes of our own for all eternity and becoming gods as our heavenly parents are. Eric, would you say that the average New Testament Christian and evangelical Christian, if you ask them what their ultimate goal is, would they answer with an answer like that? that the ultimate goal being the purpose of creating an earth and that of establishing families and homes of our own for all eternity and becoming gods as our heavenly parents? I think you're right on this, that a Christian would not say any of that. In fact, I don't see the name of Jesus anywhere in that sentence, but we find that to be very typical when we're talking to Latter-day Saints, and they oftentimes talk about their family and being together with their family forever. That's what they view as being heavenly glory. That's not what the Christian would think. And I think you're right. We don't usually hear Latter-day Saints that my ultimate desire after I die is to see the face of my Savior, to be with Jesus. That's not something you normally hear. Now, I know Russell M. Nelson, he's been talking about Jesus a lot, okay? And that can be very confusing because I'm sure Russell M. Nelson is very clear on the matter that Jesus really plays no role in his hereafter. Once the Latter-day Saint has gone through their judgment and they've been elevated to the position that they earned here on earth, 
then it's all about them. They are the ones that are involved in creating these worlds and also populating these worlds as well. But then he goes on to talk about a doctrine called the Immaculate Conception. But it's clear that Eldred G. Smith makes a very common mistake regarding this teaching. What does he say? Let me just analyze this definition of exaltation one step further. If our Father in heaven is an exalted being, I just want to knock one little principle that is taught around the world that I cannot believe, then he has the capacity and the ability of accomplishing and doing anything that any mortal can do. I cannot believe this doctrine that is taught universally of an immaculate conception of Christ, that Christ was born from an immaculate conception. There is no such thing possible. Well, first of all, it's not really universally taught. This is a doctrine that is very prominent in the Roman Catholic belief system. But he gets it wrong. The Immaculate Conception of Christ, if he's going to stick with his context, has nothing to do with the virgin birth. That's a completely different doctrine. What is the official definition of the doctrine of Immaculate Conception as it's understood by Roman Catholics? Basically, it just says Mary was free from original sin. So when she was born, she was immaculately conceived. Now, you need to understand this is only a Roman Catholic teaching. This is not Eastern Orthodox, certainly is not Protestant Christianity. Yeah, because we would never see this understanding fall in line with perhaps Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It would also seem not to make sense when you have Mary in the Gospel of Matthew saying, for instance, that she refers to God her Savior. Why would she need a Savior if she had no sin? That doesn't seem to be consistent. But Eldred G. Smith, after mentioning the Immaculate Conception and insisting that there's no such thing possible, goes on to describe the physical incarnation of Christ and how he believes that came about. Jesus Christ was the literal Son of God the Father by his spirit body and also by his physical body. The difference between Christ and us is that he had the same Father for his spirit body that he had for his physical body. But he had a mortal mother on earth. The scriptures say that she was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. And he says, see Luke one thirty-five. Of course, there had to be some means of making this possible while she was still in mortality. Further details are not necessary, but Christ himself declared all his life that he was a son of God, and he meant it. Here again, he's drawing a conclusion based on this idea that God, who has a body of flesh and bones and has to follow the laws of nature here on earth, has to go down and he has to physically impregnate Mary. Now, let's not forget, Mary, according to Mormonism, is also a spirit daughter of Heavenly Father. So he's having sex with his spirit daughter. Some Latter-day Saints don't seem to have a problem with that. I happen to have a big problem with that. But anyway, when he says the difference between Christ and us is that he had the same Father for his spirit body that he had for his physical body, that seems to make it very clear that God the Father did the job. He had to necessarily impregnate Mary, and that brings about Jesus as the Son. Then he throws in Luke one thirty-five, and I'm really a little puzzled by why he does this. He says the scriptures say that she was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. Well, the Holy Ghost in Mormon theology is another personage within the Mormon Godhead. Are we assuming he's saying that God the Father is down there having sex with Mary and the Holy Ghost is watching this? I don't know if he meant to 
give that kind of impression, but it just seems odd to me. But then when he goes on, of course, there had to be some means of making this possible while she was still in mortality. And then he says, further details are not necessary. That seems like he's kind of weaseling out of, well, how do you explain the mechanics of all this? I just find that to be very troubling. But then he goes to finish up this talk that he says, I testify to you that God is the Father, he is our Father, an exalted being, and that Jesus Christ is his literal Son, as literal as can be on this earth, and that he and the Father appeared to Joseph Smith and restored this beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Now again, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I don't think what he's described so far in in this talk regarding exaltation, that this is a beautiful gospel. I just don't see it that way. Yeah, and when when he says literal son, literal as can be on this earth, uh, we have to understand when we use the term virgin birth, uh, it's a much different understanding in Christianity as it would be in Mormonism. In fact, we have an article on our website, uh, a series called Crash Course Mormonism. And if you go to mrm.org slash virgin birth doctrine, with hyphens between virgin birth and doctrine, you'll have an understanding of what Mormonism does teach. They do teach in this literal procreation, Heavenly Father, as you were talking about, uh, came down onto this earth to have relations with Mary, who is a spirit daughter. We would reject that completely. That is not the Immaculate Conception, and that is not the virgin birth either. But yet, I've heard Latter-day Saints say they believe in the virgin birth, and Bruce McConkie would probably, if he was alive, would say he agreed with that. But the, the way he does it is he redefines it. He says to the effect that Mary did not know another mortal man, that she basically had relations with an immortal man, and that's how Bruce McConkie feels he can slide around that term and make it okay according to his theology. But certainly we would still have a problem with that concept. Smith continues and says this, If we accept the gospel and the priesthood and obey it, all that the Father has shall be given to us. All he asks of us is a few simple rules. We think of it as a rather rough time on this earth, but after all, it is just a short time. Compare our time with the Lord's time. If we live on this earth to be 100 years old, that is only two hours and 24 minutes in the Lord's time. A little simple mathematics. A thousand years of our time is one day with the Lord. 100 years is one-tenth of that. If you divide the Lord's day into 24 equal periods for comparative purposes, one-tenth of 24 is two and four-tenths. So that is two and four-tenths hours, or two hours and 24 minutes, and he puts in Abraham 3.4. I wonder how many of the students tracked with him on this. That's a great question. You would think he could have said all that much simpler just by citing 2 Peter 3.8, but no, he's got to go to an LDS reference. But even then, I think his analogy is very flawed. Uh, I mean, okay, a few simple rules, and really in the grand scheme of things, it's not for very long. It's only two hours and 24 minutes. Well, let me just ask anybody listening to our show today, do you think it's possible to go two hours and 24 minutes without any type of bad thought, sinful thought, or even bad action? That would be difficult for most human beings, so I don't think it's as simple as he's trying to make it out. But then he goes on, the hardest of all is to repent. And I would certainly agree with Eldred Smith on this, because we've talked about this subject many times. He said, repentance is the only way we make progress. Repentance and progress are synonymous. What is it worth to us? 
And then he goes on to say, are we willing to live the commandments? The first law of the heavens is that of obedience. There you go, Bill. I mean, it's all about obedience. We say that every time when we're talking about salvation. Are you willing to live the commandments? How many Latter-day Saints are willing to keep the commandments, but how many are actually doing it? And when he says the first law of the heavens is that of obedience, I think the obvious question then becomes, is this talking about full obedience or partial obedience? Because sometimes I think Latter-day Saints want to hope that it's merely a partial obedience. Well, if you're not obeying all the time, that seems to assume that you're sinning the other parts of the time. And as we've mentioned, when you go back to section one in the Doctrine and Covenants, it makes it clear that the God of Joseph Smith cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. As a Christian, I believe My God is the same way. That's why it's important to make sure that all of your sins have been taken care of. And if you think that you're going to gain forgiveness by keeping commandments, that's not a system that I think is going to bring you any type of assurance. As a Christian, I believe that all my sins were taken care of on the cross at Calvary. Bill, would you like a current general authority to get up in general conference and give a talk like this? I would probably appreciate a talk like that, only because, as I mentioned earlier in this series, I do commend Eldred G. Smith for being very candid in what he was saying. I do appreciate that he is trying to really be as clear as he possibly can on some of these issues. Yes, I would appreciate that, but sadly, I'm certainly not going to hold my breath to see that happen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.